0: to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners.
1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: if it gets to the point where you feel uncomfortable, you know, in all the right ways about the outperformance of a particular stock... Um, and that's the point to say, OK, well,
1: it's it's been a good run. I should take my profit. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. When we think of trading on the share market, we immediately think of the ASX, the Australian Securities Exchange. But it's not the only game in town. There's another exchange called ChaiX, which is a competitor to the ASX. So I'm pleased to welcome the CEO of ChaiX, Vic Chokovic. How are you, Vic? I'm very well, thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me on. So ChaiX Australia is an innovative securities and derivatives exchange Exchange, aiming to improve and grow the Aussie investment market. It was founded in October 2011 and it's since achieved over 20% market share of daily trades. Is that correct? Twenty percent of daily Yeah, Look, trades? I
2: mean obviously it varies, but we've had days where we've been over twenty four percent
1: of mm-hmm. all shares traded in Australia. It averages out somewhere between eighteen and twenty percent. Yeah, and that's currently executing over one billion dollars in cash equities each day.
2: Each day. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be the average is actually higher at somewhere around one point five billion dollars on most days we will execute. So yeah, the yeah. Australian market, you know, put that into context, is doing somewhere around six to seven mm-hmm. of which we do one and a half, and the ASX does the balance.
1: Yeah. So you grew up in uh, Sydney's inner west. Where did you start... Thinking about finance as a career.
2: Uh, Well, um, you know, look, growing up in a a migrant family in Concord, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you don't have a lot of exposure to to big business. You don't have exposure to shares. Yeah. Um, But um, I suppose my first uh, introduction to shares happened at university. Um, I had a a friend at the time uh, at university in my first year there who was already investing in shares, so he introduced me to the concept and, um, and luckily, uh, my first trade was a good trade. That, that always helps, <laughs> Got you, you know, in, huh? yeah. uh, that gets you in. If you mm-hmm. have a couple of first trades that don't go so well, you might shy away from it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, so that piqued your interest. Were you doing, um, finance at uni at the time? I,
2: I was, I was doing mm-hmm. a bachelor of economics degree and law. Um, mm-hmm. but I've just, Did the uh, the economics degree in the end?
1: So you've worked as a broker in the early days as well, didn't you?
2: I've worked as a trading. Well, I worked as a. I have worked as a broker really my entire career. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started in the industry in eighty five, and really spent um, you know thirty two of my thirty five years. Um, working for brokerage firms, yep. in particular Deutsche Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there, well, was Bain & Company. Pe- you know, anyone that's, um, that's uh, listening uh, will remember Bain as being one of the large retail broker or largest retail broker in the country yep. going back about 20 years ago, but was taken over by Deutsche Bank. So I was there for 27 years. Um, so
1: a long, um, long history in, uh, in broking. So tell us about the old days of the trading floor. Before well, but, you know a lot of listeners to this podcast are very young. I mean most of the people listening are under forty four years of age and they they think of it as all the numbers on the screen and the tickers on the screen. but it used to be an actual physical Exchange, people calling out to each other.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, look, there aren't many physical exchanges left. Primarily North America has the, you know, the, you can go and, and see the, the operation of a physical floor with operators. And um, yeah. when in our days, they were chalkies, people writing up the, uh, the prices up on the chalkboards. Um, in those days, so going back to 85, well, the first interesting thing was the the actual broking office itself. Yeah. So you would have, um, you know, two to three uh, brokers sharing one screen. Um, you know, uh, computer screens were a new thing. Mm-hmm. And so we'd have a lazy Susan and one screen, uh, <laughs> with prices. And if a client called up, let's say three clients called up at the same time to th- the three brokers, you would be fighting over the screen. So this concept <laughs> of, you know, a desk now with multiple screens, my, my desk at work has four mm-hmm. was certainly not, um, N- not a thing. Uh, and then on top of that, you had everyone smoking uh, mm-hmm. in those days. Everyone uh, so,
1: smoked at work. It was yeah, a, a absolutely. Time, a- wasn't ash- it? Yeah.
2: Ashtrays were built into the dealing desks. So <laughs> it was a completely different environment. And the floor itself was you know, it's a, like any stock exchange floor. It's, it's a marketplace. It's where people come together to, <laughs> to buy and sell things. So there was a lot of noise, a lot of activity. And, you know, if there was a big, um, you know, I can recall many um, um, instances where you would have a large deal going down, for example, when um, uh, homes are caught, um, this is going to be um, not well known to the l- l- younger listeners, but uh, there was a takeover bid for BHP. One individual and his company uh, at, the st- at that stage were trying to take over BHP. Um, And the amount of noise and energy that was on the floor uh, at the time, you know, we were handling that trade at the time and our operator pulled a green bin, um, emptied the contents, the rubbish out of the green bin, put it in the middle of the trading floor and said, right, anyone that wants to sell their BHP shares for any client of their firm – at this particular price, write your number, the number of shares and, uh, and, the, and uh, your broker number yep. and pop the ticket into the bin. <laughs> so that was the way the deal was done. So that bin quickly filled with millions and millions of shares traded, but it was all very manual.
1: So presumably that was in a takeover bid, the buyer is trying to buy a certain number of shares. In, the, in that company yep. and these days it's all done on the screen but in those days it was it was like that it was physical chits and physical chits
2: and um, uh, open out cry mm-hmm. and uh, you had to be heard and you had to you know tell them what you were doing and um, it was all written on paper and it was all processed
1: um,
2: mm. after that how so, long did
1: that process take to get up to um, the, the was, it was 15% the, that he would need
2: the 87 crash um, mm-hmm. and I was a young uh, broker at BZW me is one of the big uh, retail and institutional brokers at the time. The 87 crash, uh, October 87, exposed just how manual and how broken the process was because mm. mountains and mountains of of um, script, you know, you had your your shares were held on basically of a piece, of, piece yep. of paper mounted up in the offices of the brokers yep. and and even from the events of, October 87, those trades were not settled uh, and dealt with for months. In some cases, they were never um, um, processed. So that's (laughs) how manual it
1: was.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So what is an exchange? Well, an exchange is simply a meeting place in the same way as it's a market. It's a market for uh, shares as opposed to a market for fruit, Mm-hmm. Uh, or for any other goods. So think of in Sydney's Flemington Markets, um, it's a meeting place where people come in and buy their their goods. Uh, in the case of a of a stock market or a, or an exchange or an exchange, the ASX and CHI-X are where buyers and sellers come together to exchange shares. Uh, over corporate names and
1: over other instruments as well. Mm. Wow, that's a golden explanation. I love that Flemington Market <laughs> explanation of that. In another interview, I heard you talking about um, the competition between Chi-X and the ASX, and there was a you made the comparison between Aldi and Woolies. Is that kind of um, how the competition is working between the two exchanges? Yeah, look, um,
2: and you, um, um, a new upstart. <laughs> uh, well, absolutely. Um, for the last. Um, and this was the case in almost every major economy and every market uh, across the globe, you've had one exchange Mm -hmm. for hundreds of years. In Australia, you had the... the, Really, you've had the Australian Stock Exchange in different guises. There was Sydney Exchange and Melbourne Exchange. There's a whole lot of regional exchanges. They came together to form one Australian exchange. Yep. And for the last 150-odd years, there's been no real competition to that one exchange. Uh, and Chikes, as you said, came in in 2011, and for the first time you had competition in exchange services. And, I mean, everyone knows that competition is a good thing. You know, the incumbent may not like it, Uh, The ASX may not like it. Woolworths and Coles may not like Aldi coming into the market. But for the consumer, it's a good thing uh, because, you know, it brings tension into pricing. And that's what's happened. I mean, uh, you know, we maintain a good relationship with the ASX, but we also butt heads, you know. They are um, our competitor, but we also work with them on certain things. We, you know, they are the Australian clearing and settlement Facility, so we have to work with them, but we also compete with them.
1: So, a retail investor, where would they see the no, name Trix coming up? I mean, I, I know sometimes when I've made trades on Comsec, for example, you can see some of the trades are with ASX and some are with yep. Troyex. Is that the kind of place where it appears? It's, well, it's pretty seamless, isn't it?
2: It's it's very seamless. So, when any of your listeners, um, when anyone buys shares, um, you know, you'll get a confirmation from your broker that you've either bought or sold those shares. And you won't necessarily know where those shares, um, uh, on what exchange those shares were purchased. Mm. In the case of, you know, you mentioned Comsec, for example, Comsec actually send all of their trades or route all their trades to chi ahead of the ASX, but only if the price, you know, there has to be the equivalent price. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if there is equivalent price, then it'll route to us first, but others will go to the ASX first but for an investor they won't know in most cases where they bought the shares and for example today if you go and buy 10,000 Telstra shares there's a, prob- a probability that 30 40% of those Telstra will be bought on ChiX and the rest on the ASX but the end buyer won't know so it's very very seamless Hold
3: up
1: So chi has uh, provided competition on price. Where does that price show up in the process? Um, so the pricing, chi uh, came into the market, and as a disruptor,
2: clearly, and you used Aldi as an example, um, and you have to, there has to be some benefit. Um, if, we, if we came into the market and, and charged the brokers the same amount to trade on our exchange as the ASX, then it would be a whole lot more difficult to get any buy-in um, so really, the process is that you, as the investor, put your trade on through your broker. And now, if that broker can execute at cheaper prices on ChiX versus the ASX, buy the same shares, buy the same BHP, Rio, all the same shares that you're buying on the ASX, you're buying on ChiX, but you buying – the broker himself is paying a lower fee. And by lower, our fees to those brokers have been as much as 70, 80% lower than the ASX. You know, that's partly because the ASX has had a monopoly business for 150 odd years. And so there, there was no... Uh, pricing tension there. Mm-hmm. And so we've introduced that. And by the way, the ASX has responded and said, okay, uh, ChaiX has dropped their fees. We better drop our fees as well. And so ultimately then the brokers, if you think about what brokers charge these days, you can trade through Comsec or these other online accounts for, for you know, for, for not a lot, for really cheap commission fees. Um, if you go back to 20 years ago when there was no competition in exchange services, two to three percent was a normal commission rate. I was charging as a young broker retail clients two percent back in the eighties and nineties. So that's you know, you think about that and with a minimum order cost of a hundred or a hundred and fifty dollars. So if you were buying five hundred dollars worth of shares, you were paying a hundred dollars in commission. You were paying twenty percent away straight away that world has changed. And that's really been facilitated by the competition in exchanges. You know, between 2011, chikes coming into the market and today a saving to the broking community of somewhere around 200 to $250 million has been passed on by lower exchange fees. And therefore, those are passed on to the end user through lower commissions. So we've got you to thank for that. Uh, you've, got, you, you, you,
1: you've got competition to thank yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. a great thing. So you actually issue various kinds of products on the exchange, like warrants yep. as an example. Yep. Can you explain to the listeners, especially for beginners who've never heard of a warrant, how they operate?
2: So warrants are essentially an instrument that allows you to take a – Position in an underlying uh, share or um, uh, underlying corporate without paying the full amount for the share. So it's a, it's a contract like an option, essentially, to be able to buy those shares, but with some leverage. So they will have to try and keep it simple. They'll have a strike price. If the the shares are trading at two dollars, and there are two dollar twenty strike. Then clearly, you know unless that share those shares go above two twenty, they have no value, but it allows you to use some leverage to buy shares, and there are warrants over many, many instruments and many uh-huh. corporate names in australia um and you know the best way to learn about warrants is to start with the guide the warrant guide mm-hmm. uh, that which oh, if
1: you want to trade you actually have to get commission well, to Absolutely. you can't, you can't just do absolutely, it absolutely um, because as they retail. are
2: they are a, they are not complicated but they are a level more complicated than simply investing in mm. underlying shares mm. and you've got to understand that when you buy a warrant if the um, if the share price goes up and there's also an expiry period so it's got to do that within the expiry period. So there's, there's a slight level more of complexity, mm-hmm. but they are generally a, a fairly, you know, they're not a difficult instrument to understand, but you need to take the time to, to read
1: the guides. Okay, let's talk about TRACES, because this is the really exciting product yep. as far as um, some of our listeners would be concerned with. So you can actually, with TRACES, um, and if you can explain what TRACES stands for, sure. you can get direct exposure to overseas, direct investing in shares overseas.
2: That's right. So um, Australians, have, uh, Australians have always had interest in buying international shares But the proportion of um, users is still very low. And part of that, and and when I say low, uh, I think within Australian super funds, less than 1% uh, is held in direct shares in Australian super funds. So it tells you it's a very small proportion. Now, part of that is that Australians have been very... Australian-centric in the way they've invested. Property, Australian shares, it's been... The easel. banks,
1: BHP, Rio. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah. standards.
2: The standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so so much so that, you know, 50 60% of our Australian uh, equities market are the banks and the miners, essentially, and maybe healthcare takes it to 60%, with a very small proportion in things like uh, uh, technology. Um, so... Part of the issue then with buying shares directly is, in the past, it's been it's been difficult. Um, you know, you have to set up an international account. You've got to set up a custody account. Um, you've got to sign all sorts of. There's US- a lot of legal
1: documents, isn't there, if you want to legal documents of,
2: yeah. w8 ben forms i mean the the list goes on so it's not straightforward then on top of that um you know commissions have been elevated on international uh, trading in international shares I'll, I'll expand on that, mm-hmm. and um, and you've also had uh, large, uh, heavy FX charges because there needs to be an FX conversion, and you are taking That's your the, uh,
1: the foreign exchange, is foreign that? exchange, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
2: foreign exchange. You are taking your Aussie dollars and you are buying some US shares. They need to be converted into US, and
1: there is a fee for that.
2: There is uh, generally a big fee, and mm-hmm. this is where I caution people. Number one, for people investing, you know, pe- people that are new to the market don 't ever believe if you if you see an advertisement for free commission and i 'm agnostic I work at an exchange but i 'm just saying that you know and i 've told this to my children uh, there 's no such thing as free commission. There may very well be no charge for the actual um, commission to buy those international shares, but all the fees will be wrapped up in something else. And generally, that's the foreign exchange fee. Mm. And that can be heavy. That can be 1% or more. So you buy $100 of shares, you've already lost or given away a dollar just for the FX conversion. And then when you come back out again, you lose another dollar. So you've lost $2 on your investment. So the thing about Traces, this product that we've brought to the Australian market... And what's that stand for? Transferable custody receipts. Mm -hmm. They... They are a they are a product that have, has been around for a long time, mm. but only new to Australia because we only brought it in about a year and a half ago. Americans buy nearly all of their international shares via something called an ADR, an American Depository Receipt, mm.
0: um,
2: and the, they are essentially what a tracer is here. So for the last 100 years, Americans have been buying their. The, you know American individuals, American investors have been buying their Australian shares and their German shares and their international shares via ADRs. So it's trillions of dollars in the US. Yet in Australia, we've never had this product. So what we did was we sort of, we sort of re-engineered that concept. Uh, we joined up with Deutsche Bank, um, who are a global leader. They actually uh, are the global leader in in, uh, in, those, in those ADR products across mm. the globe. And we issued these in Australia. And we started back about a year ago with just Apple. So this means that you can go to your Aussie broker, uh, you can go to Comsec online and you can buy an Apple share during the day in Australia, uh, denominated in Aussie dollars, with the FX charge being a wholesale rate. It's like one one hundredth. Um, of a dollar, a cent, mm-hmm. let's say, um, uh, a BIP. And so the FX charge is very small. Yep. So it's a much more efficient way uh, to buy those Apple shares than doing it through an international account. Now, that's not taking away – if you feel that you, you, know, the, you don't mind the, the process of buying shares through an international broker and the rest of it, fine. But if you want ease of access, the fact that you don't have to go and fill out forms – You can call your broker up today and buy now, uh, as we've progressed over the last year, 35 of the big US names that I'm sure everyone listening will be familiar with, you know, from Starbucks to Walmart, uh, Microsoft. um, Think of any large US company, McDonald's, and even of late, we've added some um, COVID uh, coronavirus uh, related names yeah, yeah, that have benefited yeah. from it, like Gilead. Mm-hmm. Um, Gilead's an interesting one because they're, they're the US pharma or health company that uh, most people believe may get there first with a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been involved in um, producing vaccines for, for things like Ebola, uh, for the SARS virus and other things. And then even a company like Zoom. Um, and, you know, the world is now working increasingly from home and using Zoom, I do four or five Zoom conferences a day, and you can buy Zoom shares. And all these shares have obviously gone up a lot. Mm-hmm. That's not to say they're not going to continue to, to to go up. We'll see where the world goes with COVID. But now you've got access to these 35 names through this ADR-style structure via the traces, and it's seamless. You call your broker, they send the order. In this case, it doesn't go to both the ASX and ChiX. It's because it's they a Ch- don't trade on...
1: It's a Chayex only, only product. It's a Chayex
2: only product. It's Chayex unique. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we've seen a reasonable uptake. Um, we've had trading in all 35 names. Um, some a lot. Berkshire Hathaway, the big US um, uh, fund manager, has been the most popular. Uh, it's been Is that a, the, the the big one or the little? The Berks, little one. The little yeah. one, yeah. yeah. You can't afford the big one. That's no, right. It's well, right. so it's, um, it's uh, access to... Uh, through those 35 names you've actually got access to about close to half of the US index by market cap by mm-hmm. by by value yeah. because you think about some of these big names that we don't have access to in Australia like Microsoft and Apple these companies are bigger on their own than the entire Australian stock market yeah yeah yeah
1: In terms of accessing these, it's like buying any regular stock. Is that correct? It's seamless. It's exactly so you can, so the you can same. go to Comsec or any of the other yeah. providers yeah. and buy one of these and, and the codes. Yes. Okay. We, we should put a link in the uh, the show notes as well to explain how to people can access these and what the codes are because it's a concept I, I've never heard of until I've met your people from uh, CHI-X before and it's a, it's an exciting way to get involved yeah, in the, look, the US a- market, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, Phil. It's innovative. You know, mm-hmm. um, Australians um, we think we're not conservative. Uh, but what I've learned over over more than thirty years in markets is Australian investors tend to be fairly conservative in the yeah. way they think about new products. Um, I think the uptake is quicker in markets like the US um, but so it's a complete it's a new product but it's something that's been around for a hundred years uh-huh. and it's very straightforward. One tracer equals one share in whatever you buy, and your dividends come to you in Aussie dollars your broker doesn't need to reset you up. Uh, and importantly, one of the key features is they sit on your HIN, your holder identification number. They, they're identical to any other shares. So it's not like you're going to have different reporting. Your broker will be able to give that all to you
1: in one report. You spoke before about uh, chatting with your kids about investing. What's some of the data advice that you give them? Well,
2: I mean, I've had, um, there's been a lot of interest. So I have three uh, children. Mm-hmm. They're all at university at the moment. So they're not exactly cashed up. Right. They're still relying on the bank of mum and dad. But, you know, they've, they've been working and they've got some savings. And my middle daughter and my son are both interested in buying shares. And mm-hmm. uh, when the market came off uh, in March, you know, we were talking about whether they should or shouldn't invest. Um, we were looking at some traces. Um, we've had one investment in a tracer already from the kids. Yep. But the way the market kicked back up, I've, my advice to them has been to be patient uh, and to be cautious. And, and I've been in the press of late saying that what we have noticed is a, a massive uptick in the amount of day traders mm. in the market. Mm. Now, as an exchange, we love volatility and we love activity uh, and we love the height and volumes. That's good for for us. But I also caution uh, everyone listening that you know day trading can you know it can it's not always a positive experience so a short term investment should always be considered to be longer than a few days or a week mm. you know short term investment in my mind is a 3 or 6 month bet and a long time to- a long term bet is you know let's keep it in a super fund for years yep uh, and generally when you do that you make money if you've got quality names in there generally these things if you pick the right names Um, you know, at the quality end of the market, then you will do well. Uh, But you may not if you're expected to go up within a week or two. So be patient and also be cautious uh, in the way you invest.
1: Because that's something I counsel listeners all the time. I've got a Facebook group and people start coming in and going, what do you think of XYZ share? And I always say, well, first of all, we're not giving any financial advice, but Having seen the demographic of the listeners to this podcast, all I can say is that they've got time on their side, and that's the greatest investment tool, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. There is... There is no rush. There will be, you know, if, if you look at um, charts, there will be buying opportunities. Uh, there will be selling opportunities. We, we see some of the same panic in other investment products. You know, let's talk about property at the moment. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you buy it? Do you sell it? You know, these things are cyclical. Yep. um And um, there will be opportunities. And the nice thing about the share market is it's far less uniform, than the property market. Property markets in places like Sydney tend to be uniform. Mm. You know, It goes up and everything goes up. A house in Balmain goes up, it's more than likely that houses in Crowsnest are going up. Mm. Um, in the share market, what we've seen- It's in, lumpier, isn't it? It's, it's, it's much lumpier. And mm. actually the dispersion, the difference in performance in sectors through this COVID crisis has been different to almost anything I've ever seen before. So if you go back to the GFC, and in my case, if you go back all the way to the crash of 87, the market was much more uniform in the way it reacted in, um, in 87, in other uh, crises like 2001, uh, 2007, uh, it tended to either, you know, in, in a uniform way, go, you know, go down in those instances, What we're seeing here is massive dispersion between sectors like technology up significantly, healthcare, pharmaceuticals up significantly. Travel. uh, Travel (laughs) down significantly, Mm -hmm. uh, REITs, uh, uh, property-related names, down, banks down. So when you look at the market, um, it's... Incredible the amount of outperformance in some of those sectors and underperformance in others. Mm. Um, so, there are, there are going to be opportunities. There are probably going to be opportunities with those sectors that have underperformed as well. Mm. And another interesting point around that is that because our market has so little, uh, the Australian market has so little in the way of technology names. You know, when you compare it with the US market, for example, you need to be very careful. The S&P 500 has a large proportion of these technology names
1: driving it. It's huge, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I can't remember the figure, but it's a huge percentage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: And um, versus our market that's, you know, down in the single uh, percentages Mm. uh, being driven by these tech names. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Trying to draw some sort of parallel, well, the U.S. market is up, and we're down, is probably not the right way to think about it. Think about what drives our market. And we said earlier in this talk that um, that um, you know the Australian market has a large composition of banks, mm. um, and, you know, in particular, and miners. Well, the banks are, are dragging our market down because mm. they've been mm. underperformers. Mm. Whereas in the U.S., the tech tech names are dragging the market up.
1: Mm. What about with your kids? Have you ever had the experience, so I've heard this, um, some of their parents get them started in the share market and the kids after six months, a year, see a capital gain and then they think, oh, I'm going to buy a car or something like that. Have you had that, come across that well, experience? Well, I mean,
2: you know, I, I have and um, I don't think that kids are any different now than they were, uh, than I was as a kid or... Um, there's always you know, some golden shiny was, yeah, object that you yeah, want to buy, there's an there? object you wanted to buy, I mean... Yeah um, this concept of long-term investment doesn't sit well with a 20 or 25 year old, because yep. I mean, you know, there's, there's other things that they need. Um, and you're just setting up in life and, you know, you are tr- in your, in your thirties, you're trying to buy or late twenties, you might be trying to buy a home. Hmm. Um, so selling shares is probably an, an avenue for that. But again, that's not to say that you can't come back to it. But I don't think it's any different now than, yeah. than, it, than it was before.
1: There'd be a difference between selling to buy, say, a car than to selling to put a deposit on a home. That's Absolutely. A big, that's a I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's a big difference between yeah. that There's a big difference between that.
2: But if there's a need... Um, then uh, I'm sure that, you know, they'll sell what needs to be sold. But, uh, you know, what I would, again, um, advise is if you can possibly hold on to those shares and, again, a quality portfolio, something that you're comfortable with. You talk about some of those big brand names, you know, over the long term, you're going to do well. You will do well, uh, particularly if it's spread across a number of names, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 those outperformers, will, if they're quality names, will generally um, um, more than uh, pay back any one or, or two of those names that may not do so well.
1: You've got a lot of experience as a broker and with clients. What's the worst mistake that either you've made or you've seen someone else make? In terms of losing money, and and what, what what's the learning that's come from that?
2: Most um, professional investors uh, and traders that I've dealt with, and I've dealt with many fund managers, and and I've worked with uh, many traders over the years, will always they'll always be one thing that they come back to is, and that is you know taking their profits too soon, hmm. uh, not letting a winning stock continue to do what it's doing or a, a, a stock that's performing well, just getting out too early. And then on the flip side of that, um, you know, have in mind a, a stop loss, a, a point at which, you know, a share that you may have bought, bought that's gone sour – actually making a call on getting out of that stock can be difficult.
1: Yeah, know, uh, when, to, know when to throw in the towel.
2: Know when to throw in the towel. And, mm-hmm. and every trader across the globe will uniformly say the same thing. Mm. And if you're disciplined then and you set your boundaries, you'll generally do pretty well.
1: Now it's interesting you say about letting your winners run. Because presumably if you've done the correct research and you've found a stock that is performing and has got many reasons to keep on performing, why would you sell it anyway?
2: Absolutely. Mm. I mean, if that changes, um, and again, we're not here to give advice and I'm no. not here to give advice as well, but uh, in terms of uh, actual shares to mm. to go and buy, but you know, there are... There are names that, you know, if you, if, if it gets to the point where you feel uncomfortable, you know, in all the right ways about the outperformance of a particular stock, um, and that's the point to say, okay, well, it's, it's been a good run. I should take my profits. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with taking profits, um, if you're feeling uncomfortable about the amount that an underlying share has run yep. or about some change in the fundamentals of that, of that, of that stock you know again covid has shown us you know the blue chip investment in 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 the banks it's always been seen as you know pretty bullet bulletproof mm, but mm. things can change and change quickly and and the banks will not have an easy time of
1: it through this crisis yeah but they haven't had an easy time the price action's been terrible for the yeah. banks for years now really
2: yeah, yeah and, mm. that, and that and that's the point there were themes, there was uh, there was stocks that were under pressure prior to COVID hmm. for all the right reasons yep. that, the, you know, the COVID issue has just accelerated yep. um, a reason not to be in those names.
1: Vic Djokovic, thank you very much for joining us yeah. on Shares for Beginners. Pleasure, Phil. Thanks. The company and guest has contributed to the costs associated with producing this episode of Shares for Beginners. JX is the holder of an Australian markets license to operate a financial market in Australia. Any information is provided for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be financial product advice. Under no circumstances is it to be used as a basis for, or considered as an offer to, engage in any activity or purchase or sell any security, or as a solicitation or recommendation of the purchase, sale or offer to purchase or sell any security. To the extent permitted by law, ChiX makes no representations or warranties and excludes all liability in relation to the information provided. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greek Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't.